I was a master of the mask. If you would have met me, you would have had no idea that I struggled with anxiety, depression, perfectionism. You would not have known. You would have thought, man, she's got it all together. She's a type A woman. I was running a successful business out of my home at the time. So I was, it looked like I was making things happen. Mm -hmm. But on the inside, I was falling apart. Hey, Mama, what do you think of when you hear the word success? Fame, status, and fortune? What about rocking your baby to sleep or coaching Little League? Advocating for your special needs child or mastering meal planning? Maybe going back to school or starting your own business? The truth is success looks different for us all, and it may change depending on the season of life you're in. After finding myself in a dark place, I decided to set an example for my two boys by intentionally choosing what I wanted for my life and seeking it, even if it was scary. And now I'm so excited to bring you stories of other moms who are living out their version of success. I plan to ask these incredible women not only about their journeys, but how they are making it through the madness and the magic that we all know as motherhood. So, whether your assistant just brought you a hot espresso or you're rocking your baby on a third cup of reheated coffee, settle in and get ready for some goodness. I'm Shannon Carruthers, and this is the Successful Mama Podcast. Hey, Mama. Do you want to make a change in your life, but you feel like there is no way you could add anything else in the mix? I get it. That's why I created a simple list of 10 habits you can start today that help produce big change, even in the chaos of motherhood. Go to shannoncarruthers.com slash momhabits to get a copy sent straight to your inbox. That's shannoncarruthers.com slash momhabits. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this episode of the Successful Mama podcast. I am your host, Shannon Carruthers, and I am really, really glad that I have this next guest with us today. I think that The lessons and the things we're going to talk about are very needed um, in our world, but especially in the motherhood community. And you're going to hear a lot of the things that if you've listened to me for very long, you've heard some of these things that I've said. I I told our guest earlier that I feel like we have a lot of the same messages. And I think that that's really awesome that we're on the same page. So Kara Snyder. Thank you so much for joining us. I am super excited to be here. Thank you. Yes. So you guys, Karis is an author. Karis is a speaker. Um, She leads worship at church. And I mean, like I said, you're just going to love her message. So Karis, with that, would you tell us just a little more about you? Yeah. So my family and I, we live here in Alabama, Coleman, Alabama, small town. And I have two daughters, which honestly, y'all, I think it's God's sense of humor because I grew up with brothers. So this whole the whole girl thing is a whole new thing for me. But I have a daughter who is 14 named Zoe and a daughter who is 10. And her name is Allie. And my husband and I, we have been married for 19 years. And uh, we are already starting to talk about what to do for our 20th anniversary next year. And we also, we have a a dog. It's a mini golden doodle. His name is Cooper Hash Brown. Okay. (laughs) And if y'all are like, Hash Brown, where did that come from? So when we got him a few years ago, when our daughters kind of opened the Christmas box and he was in there, they were like, Mom, he looks like a tater tot. Can we call him Hash Brown? And I said, Okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, it makes sense. So, so let's go with that. But uh, we, he's fun. He, he acts human. So I always include him in our family, of course, right? Of our family description. But so that's a little bit of my family. And, and like you said, I am a speaker. I'm an author. I'm a certified life coach. I help my husband lead worship and I have a podcast as well. And so I've just kind of been on this journey. I think you'll understand this kind of God is just leading me in a way that I never thought I would be going like I'm like, are you sure? God, are you sure right, this is the right I, way to go? I can relate for okay, sure. See, and many of your listeners probably can relate to Absolutely. that as well. So over the past probably five years, five or six years, it has just been a whirlwind of hold on tight and just go. And I've just been grateful for where God has led me here today, meeting people like you and just sharing our stories and coming together to encourage others, to encourage women, to encourage moms to just know, hey, God sees you, he loves you, and you're not alone. So I'm grateful for for the opportunity to come and be here to do that for your listener family. Well, I'm just really excited to have you. And, you know, whether you're a believer or you're not, I think that this message is going to be good for you. Um, and and like I said earlier, this is something that we all need as moms and we mm-hmm. all need to hear and we need the reminders of. So um, do you want to start and just tell us a little bit about your childhood and what that looks like? Absolutely. So for me growing up as a child, I did grow up with a mom and dad in my home and they're still married to this day. So I know that was something that I was very fortunate to have. And like I said, I had two brothers. Um, I have a twin brother. I am one minute older than him, by the way. You win. I win. But now that we are older, I don't always say that I'm the oldest. You know, when you're a kid, that matters. But now that I'm an adult, I don't still know. I know, still but know. I get to still tell him what to do. <laughs> right. so, but anyway, um, so yeah, so growing up, that was really fun to have my brothers and, and my mom and dad. They loved us. They took care of us, you know, the best that they could. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, and my dad worked for the railroad. So he was gone quite a bit. And he he did the best that he could when he was at home, but he was always working, always trying to provide for very active kids, you know, and with a wife that was at home trying to cook all the meals and do all the things that was very overwhelming for my mom. And I, as for us as mamas, we can understand that. Right. But when I was born, I was born with a mild form of cerebral palsy in the left side of my body. And it affected for me the muscles in my left arm and my left egg, leg. And uh, my foot was turned inward when I was born and I had to have surgery at a young age to fix my foot so that I could walk, you know, like other other kids did. And I really did not know that I was different from other kids. I, I wasn't treated differently by my family. They loved me. My dad, it was very important to him that I knew my disability did not define my ability yeah. in life. So he did not treat me like I had a disability. No one did. You know, I had physical therapy, my left arm, I would hold it up by my side. But because I was born that way, because those muscles were tight, I, I didn't know. I didn't know that I could swing my arms like other kids could. Right. Do. It was just your normal. It was my normal. Yeah. And so all that changed one day when I was in first grade and a kid who he went to church with me, he played baseball with my brother. He even lived in our neighborhood. He gathered my whole class around me and he said, hey, Karis, why don't you do that? Why do you look like that? And he held up both of his arms the way that I held up my left arm. And he said, you look like a bunny rabbit. And he started hopping around me in circles. Now, I am 40 years old. 
and I can still remember this moment. Yeah. It's like etched into my my memory. It's crushing. Yeah, it was crushing. And I realized in that moment, hey, I'm not like everybody else. I'm different. And because I felt different, I felt that pain of rejection. And I thought that's why I felt rejected because I was different. Right. And so I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell the teacher. I didn't tell my parents. So early on, I began to teach myself to deal with hard things, difficult situations by not dealing with them. Same. Right? Yes. Okay. You know, push it down. Don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. Pretend like it never happened. Yep. And I did that starting at six years old. I remember going home and, and, you know, closing my door off to everyone and, and hiding in my room crying and my heart would kind of flutter over the next few nights because I was really nervous, really anxious about going to school the next day, not realizing that that was anxiety. Right. You know, all those what ifs kind of playing through my head. What if it happens again? What if I do tell and it makes me get in trouble? What if other kids join in? So I just, I didn't want any of those worst case scenarios to happen. So I just kept it to myself. But in that moment, I also taught myself, you know what, to not be rejected again, to not be pointed out, blend in, just blend in and only do the things that I knew I could honestly be perfect at. Yep. Be perfect at it. Don't fail. Don't make a mistake. And then you for sure won't be made fun of again. You for sure won't be rejected. It's not going to draw attention to you. Right. Yeah. Right. And if I if it did draw any attention to me, it would be good mm-hmm. attention. And people would love me for what I could do instead of rejecting me for what I could not do. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so as a kid, I put that expectation of perfection on myself. And that's the way I begin to live my life. That's really good. I mean, I I think that one of the things that I tell my boys, they're five and seven. And actually, we literally had this conversation this morning, is that I don't care if you have all the best grades or all the worst grades. I don't care if you have, you know, whatever, whatever achievements, none of that matters as much as how you treat other people. So good. And the most important thing is that you are kind. And so remembering that number one they're watching us and how we treat other people but the fact that they impact others right now at such a young age and your your story is proof of that that at this point in your life you still look back to that moment and so remembering that it's up to us to teach our kids like be kind Mm, of all things yeah and, and like you just said it's up to us yeah, they don't know. I mean, they're born into this world, and they they have a a nature, a human nature. They have flesh, and so they're not. They don't know, so they right. need us to help, kind of direct them and guide them. And I have to tell my daughters because I see it. I see some of that tendency as they get older. You know, to to want to be perfect, to not make a mistake, to be afraid to try something because what if. What if I don't make the team? What if I'm not, you know, the best at it? And we have to tell them if it's something you want to try, it's okay. Like our, our love does not depend on your ability. Right. It doesn't depend on what you can do. We, we love you because, because we do. Right. Because we love you. And so we always have to say, you know, just do your best. That's all we want. Just do the best that, that you can do. And, you know, for some of you, you may have older ones. My daughter who is in eighth grade, goodness, about to go into ninth grade. Bless you. Y'all, 
bless you. That's yeah. all we can say. Bless yes. your heart. Right, right. Well, so she had to, just a few months ago, decide all the classes she was going to take for her whole high school career. And in her high school career, she had to decide which career path she wanted to take at 14, okay? 14 years old. That's crazy. Yes. And she was very panicked. And she said, Mom, what what if I pick the wrong thing? What if this is not what I want to do? And in that moment, I said, you know what? Let's just take a breath. You're not supposed to know what you want to do at 14. No. Right? I'm still like, I've had multiple things that I've done through my life. And so we had to kind of remove some of that pressure. And I said, listen... Whatever you decide and you go through in ninth grade, if you don't like it, you can change it. Absolutely. And so to know that change was not wrong, change was not bad, change did not mean you made a mistake or you were weak. It just you needed to make a change to know that at 14, she needed to hear that. And that was probably, you know, something that I needed to hear throughout my life, too. Is that I was trying to say, I feel like you okay. need to just say that again, like, Mama, you need to hear this. Like change is okay. You can do a thing and it not, you don't have to keep down that path. Like if it's not meant to be. That's right. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't mean that you failed. No. It was part of your process of learning, your journey of growing. There's good that's going to come out of it. You're going to learn things about yourself. You're going to grow in your skills and your talents. You're going to meet people on that journey that may become lifelong friends. And it may give you a better vision of where you're supposed to be, you know, what that next thing is. And so if you, if we can just see that everything works together, it may not make sense in the moment. And yes, that change is hard and scary, but it is okay. Yeah, for sure. And like normalizing that. I love yeah. that you're you're starting talking about that now because I think that that's something, I mean, not that, like you said, our parents did the best they could with what they had their own stuff going on. And, yeah. and I think that a lot of the stuff that we talk about today was not at the forefront of their minds. Like it just wasn't a thing. Yeah. Whereas now it's in our face a lot. Like you need to do these things and talk to your kids about emotions and talk to your kids about failure and, you know, normalizing that now for them as children. I can't wait to see how they grow and develop as right. adults. Yeah. I think about this often because my mom has said to me in the past, I'm so sorry for, you know, that we didn't give you you guys the opportunity. I'm like, mom, you didn't know. No. Because if we look back to my my parents' parents' generation, so my grandparents, you know, this is uh, adults who grew up in World War II. They grew up in the Great Depression. So they didn't have time. No, they absolutely didn't have, not. Right? They didn't have the, the freedom or the opportunity to sit and do those things. They had to work. They had to figure out a way to get food on the table. You know, if the, if the, the men were over fighting the war, the women were doing other things in the factories. And so... There was just not room to do that. So I tell my mom that all the time. I'm like, this was just a product of of how you had to be raised in that moment. But they're learning now and we're learning, you know, from those things. And I see it with my with my mom now and my girls. If if they're watching our kids for us, if we're out of town, she gives them that space to be emotional. That's awesome. Uh, she is not dismissed. It's not seen as a weakness. It's just seen as hey, you need an opportunity to to get this out so that it doesn't take root 
in your body and your soul. And over the years, I mean, it compounded yeah. for me. And, you know, eventually as an adult, I couldn't push the anxiety and the perfection and the depression down any longer. And it exploded. So if we can help our mamas to not explode and then in turn help our children to not do the same, yes. how much further are they going to be than us when they get our age? Absolutely. I think yeah. that's that's so true. And and like you were saying with our parents, another thing that they didn't have is the resources that that's we right. do. That's good. Like we have the access to the internet. Number one, you can find anything you want to learn, anything you want to know. It is there at your fingertips in your hand every single day. And that is just not what they had available to them. And so I think, like you said, they did they had other stuff to worry about and they did the best they could with what they had at the time. And we're going to in turn try to do the same thing with our kids. And then I hope that our kids can do even better for our grandkids. And they'll look back at us and say, well, they didn't do this, this and this, but they didn't have the things that we have now, you know? And so if we can just generationally improve, you know, one of the goals that I say for my life is if I can make my kids better than I am, Mm. I did a good job as a mama. Yeah. That's so good. And, and, you know, even with the little boy that made fun of me, you know, back then, we didn't talk about that, you know, treating each other with kindness. It would be, well, kids are going to be kids. Right. Right. And so like, like we're, we're on this topic, I know, of teaching this generation now. So now we're helping our children see that kindness matters. It's so important, you know, do unto others the way you would, you know, want to be treated. Right. And so if we can teach them that younger and younger over time, they're going to learn. Are they going to make mistakes? Mistakes? Absolutely. Of course. But that's okay. Yeah. They're, they learn in the process just like we do as well. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. So good. Okay, Miss Karis. So let's move on from childhood. Um, let's get into, you know, to college, to marriage, to all of that. So walk us through that. Absolutely. So I went to the University of Alabama. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. I got to throw it in there. If you're not a Roll Tide fan, please don't hold it against me. Um, So I went there in 2000, graduated high school and went to Alabama in 2000. And I have to give a side note. There were times I viewed my cerebral palsy as a difficult thing that it was going to hinder me in life. But over because my dad helped me, like I said, not let it define my ability, I was able to able to overcome some of that. But because of that cerebral palsy, I was able to receive a full scholarship. It was a disability scholarship. And without that, I would not have been able to go to college. There was just not the finances there. And so what was seen to be bad or difficult, it was used for good. In my life. So I went to the University of Alabama, graduated with a child development degree. My goal was to work with children. I loved kids. I mean, early on, I knew that I loved kids. And so I wanted to work with them. And in college, I had decided that the goal for my life was going to be to have my own daycare. By the time I was 30, I wanted my own run it. I wanted to be in charge of it. And so that is kind of what I worked towards. My husband and I, we met in college. He used to be in a Christian boy band. They do still have music on Spotify. So if you look up a band called P150, P150, it stands for Psalms 150. 
you will hear their music and it's great. We may have to link that in the show notes. I think maybe you should. Okay. So uh, check out Successful Mama Podcast and, and we will link yeah. that in the show notes. Yeah. I think it, it would be really funny. Uh, we met, I was helping uh, my youth pastor. He needed someone to be a counselor for young girls at, it was this Christian music festival. They were singing and dancing and I was making fun. I mean, I made so much fun of them. And now we're married. So there's that. But we met there. And I loved being in Alabama, I even got the opportunity to work at the university's child development center, which was such a fun time because my classroom, it was two and a half to four year olds, but it was also college students, I got to teach college students how to teach. That's on cool. hands. I, I loved it. I just loved being there with multiple ages in that room. But uh, we got married in April of 2004. We lived in Tuscaloosa for a couple of years and ended up moving to where my husband was from, Arab, Alabama. He wanted to start a business there. And so we did. We moved there. And there was a lady there who owned a daycare and she read about my background in child development. She said, listen, I am ready to retire. Would you be interested in taking this over? And I was like, oh, dream come true. Okay, perfectionist before 30. So I was like, I am killing it, right? I mean, I am way ahead of the game. And so I said, of course, absolutely. And so I started running it. I started making some changes, you know, just doing all these things, trying to make it better, trying to make it more perfect, Right. all these things. And so I ran that daycare, y'all, for a whole year, okay, one whole year. And then at the end of that year, I was like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. I feel like I can say this now and laugh at my own self, but parents are hard. Yes, they were hard. And and I had to step back and realize, okay, I was this young college student who, you know, came out of there with just ready to just change the world. And I changed everything. and I had no kids of my own. You know, so I I give them grace in in that, and I had to give myself some grace in that as well. But I that was just not. I was like, no, this is not not what I want to do. And interestingly enough, that lady she called me back and said, hey, I know we you know we're in we've been in this process of you trying to take it over. We were trying to get some paperwork finished. Could never get the paperwork completely in my name. We would always run up against something. And she said, my last grandchild is about to come through there. And I was there for all of my children, for all the other grandchildren. I really want to be there for her. Could I have it back, please? Yes. Yes, you can. (laughs) I was going to say that's a big ask, but honestly, like it was meant to be. It was. I I didn't even have to tell her, I'm going to have to pray about that or I'm going to have to think about that. Yes. You you didn't have to finish that. Come get the keys. I got them ready. Just go. (laughs) But it was crazy because we could never get the paperwork completely in my name. So it didn't even have to be like this whole process to give it back to her. She just took it. I mean, she just picked it up and just kept going. And so it was kind of like I was protected in that moment to not go down that path. But as moms, you know, as just women in general, we just talked about this. When change comes, we feel like we failed. We feel like we made a mistake. You know, my whole life I was like, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to be. And so, you know, I had to had to work through that. I had to realize, you know, no, I'm not, I'm not a failure. I found out in the midst of all that, that I was pregnant with, with my first child with Zoe. And we had been trying for a really long time. We had some infertility issues. And so I just had to realize that that was, I needed to make a pivot. 
Right. I needed to make a shift. But for any of you who deal with perfection, it takes a little while to have that perspective. Yeah. Like working through those emotions and trying to come to terms with it. Yeah. And it doesn't mean because I achieved that dream, quote unquote, and then it didn't last long. That did not mean that I failed. It meant that I got to experience it and realize sometimes what I think for myself is not what's best. Mm-hmm. But you have to go through it sometimes, go through the experience and learn from that. And I'm grateful that I did. I met a lot of wonderful women. And a lot of those kids now, it's crazy because they're in high school or they've graduated. Wow. So that, to to watch, their, to watch that, yeah. Yeah. You know, to watch that process has been, I don't know, it's just been really, really interesting. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, I think you're right that it's so easy to feel like you you've failed or you've done something wrong when in reality, like if you didn't go through that process, you wouldn't have learned that that was the thing that you didn't want to do. That's right. Like learning more about ourselves and and more about what we're supposed to be and what our path should be. Um, it's going to come through experience things, experiencing things that we weren't meant to do. And I don't want to go all the way back to this, but I did think, earlier when you were talking about your daughter and this kind of fits in that um Brene Brown um if you are not familiar she's a speaker she's you know she does a lot of great things you should check her out but she said that with her daughter when she went to college her daughter was like all these kids know what they're supposed to be doing and you know what they're going to do and I'm a freshman and I don't know and her mom said she said that she wanted her to try every class try all the different things and if she didn't she wasn't going to pay for her college Oh, wow. Because she said that all of the the women that are coming through in her in their 20s, you know, in late 20s, early 30s are like, I did this thing. And now it's not what I was supposed to do. But I didn't realize that at the time. So like trying all of those different things and learning more about who you are and what you like and what you don't like. It's a process that we need to normalize as being okay, not as failing. Yeah, that's really good. I'm sitting here thinking about that as well, because I think that a lot of times that's where our brains get overly anxious mm-hmm. when we put that pressure on ourselves to get it done, get it right, don't make a mistake. And so our brain gets in that mode of constant working, constantly going towards this one path. Yep. And if you veer off the path, it's like your your brain does not know how to respond So it can put you in this mode of panic, this mode of anxiousness, overly worrying about something, overly trying to be perfect and control the outcomes. Mm -hmm. When in reality, if we were honest, we're really not in control of all of those outcomes. So I love that she's giving her that space. Right. Just try, you know, different things. Even when I go and speak to students at high schools or college and we talk about this whole thing of you may not know what you want to do with your life and that's okay. You can kind of see them in the room just be like, really? Yeah. Like Like people are not telling them that. Yeah. Normalizing that. Yeah. Like it's okay that I am thinking about wanting to do multiple things. So for them to see for a moment. Yeah, sure. That's that's totally fine. Some people may know what they want to do, but others may not. That doesn't mean that you're not going to be successful. Mm -hmm. It just means maybe you have multiple gifts, multiple 
talents. And so throughout your path, you may use one gift or talent at this job. And then in a five or 10 years down the road, you may do something else. And then another few years, you may do something else. And then eventually they're all going to come together. Right. You know, so that doesn't mean that you're behind. It just means that you have multiple things inside of you that you need to use. And that's for us as moms and, and as women. You know, I think we talked about this before we started recording. We're not just moms. Yeah. You have so many p- women listening right now that can do a plethora of things. You know, it may be that they are amazing cooks or they are great at creating things with their hands or they are amazing listeners and encouragers. Those are all gifts and talents that we use in our journey in this life to work with other people, to take care of our children, to take care of ourselves. So I think when we start to see it in that way, in that light, that these things over time come together. Absolutely. To help us. You know, it's kind of like when you go on vacation and you see all these mile markers, each mile marker gets you one step closer to your destination. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's a really good example of what that looks like. And, you know, you got to pass by the one to get to the next one. Yeah. So, okay. So we are, um, we're going to move now into motherhood. Yeah. That's, I mean, obviously successful mama. Let's get to talking about being a mama. Yeah. So, you know, I touched a little bit on my, my issues with some infertility and that was hard. You know, no one prepares you for that. You know, that it's going to be, it can be difficult to, you know, come into this place of, of motherhood. I just thought it was going to be, oh, let's have a baby. And, you know, okay, here yep. we go. But it was, it was a, it was hard uh, just to hear, you know, that I had some, some difficulties with producing, you know, estrogen and all these things that I did not know about my body. So here comes another message of, oh, your body's not perfect. Look, you know, look at what you're not able to do. So here comes, you know, that pressure. So um, once I finally did get pregnant and know, you know, that there is this little life, you know, there inside and we found out it was a girl. I was elated and her, she was born November 18th. So I, I know maybe some of your listeners are from the South being an Alabama graduate college football is kind of important even when we had the dark ages when we were not that great. But it it was funny because my doctor is also an Alabama fan. So she was trying to plan, you know, when I would come in, she was going to break my water around the game. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So some of you may be laughing at that. Some of you are like, really? Really? Y'all are just a little too obsessed. It's a thing. It's a thing, you know, and I, I admit that I acknowledge that the, her birth date was kind of right around our rivalry, the Alabama Auburn game. And so my doctor said, Hey, if you've progressed far enough, we're, we're going to go the week before <laughs> we're, we're so going to break your water <laughs> a week before. So there's a little information in there about me. So we did go the week before I was able to be at home and watch the, the Alabama <laughs> and Auburn game. But um, so after having Zoe, you know, when you're um, a mom and you have this little life, you are just terrified what do I do? I I had a child development degree, but it still didn't prepare me for holding my own baby in my hands, you know, looking at this life and you're, you're in charge of, of, of her or, or him. And you're like, what, 
are we supposed to do now, you know? And so I can remember with her, with the first one, I don't know if any of you can relate to this, but you're much more overprotective. You're much more like I was, at least I'll say I was, you know, I wanted to keep her close by to me. It was in the winter months. So people would ask, can we see Zoe, you know, especially at church and in her little car seat, I kept her in. Her cover had this like plastic where you could see, like you could unzip it and you could see their faces or let them breathe. And so I would, that's how I would let people gotcha. see her. Yeah. You know, they couldn't hold her because uh, I didn't know what, what germs do you have? You know, all of these things that you think about when you're a new mom, because you're just, I was so anxious right? because I didn't want to fail her. I didn't want to let her down. So I was putting that pressure of perfection on myself as a new mama, not realizing no, no new mom knows what she's doing. No. None of us do, but I thought that everybody knew what they were doing. And I, and I put that pressure of, you have a child development degree. You worked in preschool and daycare up at that time for almost 10 years. You you should know what to do with your own baby in the middle of the night when she's crying and you cannot help her. There's nothing, you don't know what to do. You should know. And so that was a lot of pressure. And I think for me early on, I did deal with some postpartum depression, mm-hmm. but I, I didn't tell anybody, you know, I, I, was, I was supposed to, to have it all together. I was supposed to love her. I was supposed to love being a mom. So I didn't tell anybody, you know, about those emotions or about those tears or about those thoughts that I would have, you know, berating myself, belittling myself and being her mama. But I loved being her mom. I loved being in that world of motherhood. So over time, you know, I started to learn and then some some older women came in and just kind of started to try to help me, you know, say we I can remember I didn't know what I was doing. So having some of those earlier conversations was helpful for me. But, you know, looking at her now, she's goodness, 14 she told me uh, several months ago, Mom, I'm going to be driving this year. I'm oh like, oh, let's not talk don't, about that. We don't go I there. Can't, I can't. I'm trying to enjoy this season, but driving is just a whole other other thing. But, you know, you look back to those moments and it does go by so fast. So, you know, being present in that moment, knowing now what, what I wish I would have known then that it's okay to to not have it right and that other moms don't have all the answers either, that we, we literally are figuring it out yeah. as we go. We are. And, you know, there were times where I thought my husband was the enemy because he would try to do things that I didn't want him to do. He didn't know what he was doing either. You know, the dads, God love them. They they try. Right. They try hard. Um, so, you know, you there's got to be a lot of grace in motherhood. Absolutely. There has to be. And you have to give your per- yourself permission to receive that grace. If if you and I were friends and you were having a baby around the same time that I did back then, I would have given you so much grace. I would have said, Shannon, it's okay. You're not supposed to know. You're not supposed to have it all together. But why do we not do that for our own selves? Absolutely. You know, so um, I have to look back at that now, but I loved entering into motherhood. I loved that I had the opportunity to be home with her. And then when she started getting into those toddler years, I did, you know, enjoy those moments of singing songs to her and teaching her things and just being in the moment with her. But around the time she was about two years old, I still had not dealt with all the stuff that I had pushed down 
over the years. I mean, I had pushed and pushed and pushed. I was a master of the mask. You, if you would have met me, you would have had no idea that I struggled with anxiety, depression, perfectionism. You would not have known. You would have thought, man, she's got it all together. She's a type A woman. I was running a successful business out of my home at the time. So I was, it looked like I was making things happen. Mm -hmm. But on the inside, I was falling apart, terrified that if I let anyone know, I would be rejected again. I would be judged again. No one would want to be my friend. No one would want to be a part of my life. And so when she was a toddler, I could not, I couldn't hold anything in. There's literally nowhere else for it to go. So those anxiety attacks, which for me felt like my heart beating out of my chest or a heavy weight sitting on me like elephants just stomping up and down and I couldn't do anything about it I didn't know what it was at that time of my life you know I thought anxiety and depression were not real uh, if you came to me for advice encouragement or even just prayer my advice to you would have basically been suck it up buttercup not compassionate at all and so I think in dealing with that struggle I, I was afraid to acknowledge, wait a minute, this really is real. Yeah, this is so real. And it's so terrifying. And you do try to suck it up. You do try to move on. You, you, you try to keep going. But you, you can't, you can't no matter how hard you try, you cannot go on your own anymore. And so those anxiety attacks would just get heavier and heavier and, and longer and longer. And I felt like, I, you know, there would be times I thought I'm having a heart attack, like something bad is happening. But I still didn't want to let anybody know. Because I didn't want them to think anything bad of me. Yeah. And I'll never forget sitting on my couch in the living room. Zoe was in her playroom. Why she loved doing this at the time, I don't know. But she loved to organize her toys. Yep. I had one of those. Okay. She was living her best toddler life. Okay. Mm -hmm. When she was organizing her playroom. And I called my mom because I thought at any moment she's going to come in here and find her mom dead on the floor because of the serious anxiety attack that I was I mean my heart was just racing and I called my mom and I was like I don't know what to do what am I supposed to do because she was a safe person yeah. for me and she said Karis you got to go to the doctor I think you're having an anxiety attack but you need to go to make sure now I was around 30 at the time and I knew not to argue with her <laughs> do, do what mama yeah, says do what she says or she was probably going to come up there and make me go so I went and I remember the nurse hooking me up to the EKG machine. Zoe is sitting there crying because she has no idea what's going on with her mama. I called my husband, Brandon. He, I had hidden it from him, you know, because he knew me as a strong woman who had it all together. And I had to call him up there. And I can remember just looking at that nurse saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I'm a mess. I'm so sorry you're having to deal with me. I looked at Zoe and I was like, I'm so sorry that mommy's failed you. I've let you down. I mean, she's just crying. And so I feel like a failure to my kid. My husband comes in. He He's shocked. He has no idea what to do. And I'm like, just take her and, and go because I didn't want him to see me that way. You know, and I remember that nurse, God love her. She was a gift that day because she looked at me and she said, listen, you don't have to apologize. I'm supposed to be here for you. This is my job to take care of you. You're not a burden. Yeah. And that was kind of a seed planted in me that I was going to need to be reminded of, you know, that help is not a bad thing. No, you know, that we as mamas, we need help. You know, you, if you're if you feel like you've got to carry it all on your own shoulders, you don't. And I wish I would have known that, you know, that I could have let others in to help me bear the load. 
So for her to say that was really important that day, but everything was good with the EKG machine. The doctor was like, hey, you're, you're fine. You're having an anxiety attack. And I was still in that moment of denial. Like I hadn't hit the bottom yet that I needed to hit to get help. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, in the midst of that, uh, he said, you know, but what you have done is you've strained your chest cavity wall because while I was trying to be perfect, I was doing that through what I looked like on the, my physical part and I was overworking out I was working out two hours plus a day drinking gallons of water gallons um, and eating less than a thousand calories a day because I was trying to numb the pain Mm -hmm. that I had inside instead of dealing with it it was easier to numb it and so I used pain to starve it by by numbing it and so he said because you've done that you cannot lift anything for the next six months not your two-year-old, not a Walmart bag, nothing, because you have to let that heal and you have to let people help you. So in that moment, I moved from anxiety to depression because I felt worthless and purposeless. And, you know, sometimes when you're in that moment, moms, would you all agree with this? When you start to see that other people, it appears they do a better job than you. Like the teachers, it appeared her preschool teachers were taking a better, better care of her than me. You know what I mean? Like, and my husband could actually cook better, you know, in that moment than I could, you know, that, and I couldn't pick her up. He had to be the one to pick her up. And so I just began to feel purposeless. Like I was just a failure and that, you know, just that heap of perfectionism. I couldn't be like, I was just failing right and left. And that just really took me into that place of, of dread and just wondering, am I really meant to be a mom? Am I really meant to do this? Like, those are some of the questions that went through my mind during that time. Wow. Yeah. And then, and at this point, had you let him in at all? I had not let him in at all because I was afraid if I did let him in. And this, not because he ever made me feel that way. It was that perfectionism in my, my mind. If you tell him the truth, if you let him see who you really are, he's not going to love you. Um, or he's not going to understand. And so that means he'll just walk away. And so finally, I had to let him in. I mean, there would be be nights, you know, again, your your thoughts are just, I mean, they are marching through right and left. You're playing out this movie in your mind of the worst case catastrophe things. And then by the time it gets to the end credits, you know, you, I was in full panic mode and he would hear me, you know, he would wake up hearing me panicking. And so I finally had to let him in to tell him, you know, what was going on. And he loved me. He didn't leave me. Now he didn't understand. He had never experienced experienced that. Right. But even in the midst of that, he just still was, was there. He, He even said, you know, I don't understand what you're going through. But we'll get we'll get through it. Um, and so I was very grateful, you know, for for that, to have that support. But even in the midst of that, you know, when we have support, we think we're not worthy of the support. Well, and I think when you were talking just a second ago, it made me think about the things that you're telling yourself over and over and over again and how so often the thoughts that we have are lies. Yeah. The thoughts that we have, you know, that are putting ourselves down, that are, you know, telling us how awful of a person we are or how we're not good enough or we're not any of these things as good as someone else, whatever, like that comparison game. Absolutely. It's lies. Yes. And so 
just knowing that I feel like is a tool that can be very helpful. Reminding yourself in those moments, everything that you think is not true. That's right. And that you can have thoughts that are not true. That's right. And just recognizing that the story you're telling yourself can be changed. That's right. You can change the script. Absolutely. You know, and they've done a lot of studies on the brain, and it, it's fascinating to me. You know, we have tens of thousands of thoughts that bombard us every day. The majority of those, it's 80 to 85% are negative. Yeah, I believe that for sure. Right. And then it's over 90% of those thoughts, those negative thoughts are repetitive. Uh-huh. So I it's believe like, that too, right? yeah. Okay, so you're on this hamster wheel of hearing the same negative message over and over and over. I'm not good enough. I'm not as good as mom as her. I'm scrolling through social media, seeing all these filtered highlight reels, comparing it to my behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And so this, our brain just, that's what it does. It just, it tends to want to go negative. So once we begin to realize that, like you're saying, these are lies, it's not true, this is who I am looking for those positive affirmations to say over yourself, you know, to kind of get that down in your soul. It begins to help your brain make new pathways of thinking. Right. And that takes time. And that's a problem because you've got to remember, you've been on this process of saying these things about yourself for how many years now? For how long now? Maybe there were other voices that said those things over you. So you have to give yourself the process to make those changes, to help your brain over time, over and over again, to change the message. And sometimes we don't always get it right. So you may take take two steps back. So you just have to keep mm-hmm. stepping forward. So it takes time. And I, you know, I had to learn that. That was a, that was a long lesson for me and if I was fully transparent with with you guys there are days and moments where I still struggle so maybe somebody needs to hear that it's still not always easy but we can change the message but I was just heaped down under those negative messages and because I had hidden myself and again my brain thought that I was protecting myself by putting up those walls It was a short-term solution, but it made a long-term problem. Yes. Yeah. And and I think, you know, if you guys have listened for very long, um, or if you haven't, you can go back and hear my story, which is very, very similar. You know, the perfectionism, the putting up walls, the I can do it myself. I'm going to put this filter on and nobody's going to know. Like these things that she's saying is exactly my story. And I've had so many of you tell me this is your story, you know. And so if this is something you're experiencing, knowing that you are not alone, you absolutely are not. We so many of us have gone through this and experienced these same things. And I think just knowing that in itself can be really helpful. Right. And I think I think it helps normalize Mm -hmm. struggles like, yeah, life is difficult for sure. And it's hard. It doesn't mean that we are messing up it just it just means that it's hard it's hard at times and so you know I think that is important for us to to realize and to remember and looking back on that I can see how how my brain just kind of got me into that I call it quicksand sometimes I mean it just was pulling me under and under and under and I did finally hit rock bottom for me rock bottom was I actually ended up getting pregnant again, in the midst of this. And, and that was a miracle in itself. You know, as I stated earlier, we were on infertility to get pregnant with my first daughter. And I wasn't uh, when this pregnancy came about and my doctor in that moment, she, she could see 
I couldn't hide it from her. Right. She could see. And I, I'm, I was inching closer and closer to 100 pounds. I mean, I was a shell of, a, of myself. Mm-hmm. And she said, listen, Karis, for the sake of the baby, you, you have to eat. I don't care if you eat donuts, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Just eat. And in that moment, two things happen. First of all, you guys get it, that mama bear instinct. We will do things for our children. Or if we're... We have children within our life that are not our own, but we treat them like our own. We're going to protect them. We're going to take care of them. We're going to fight for them. But also in that, not just that mama bear instinct, but if a doctor tells you you can eat donuts for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you eat the donuts, donuts. right? And I did, okay? (laughs) I still love donuts to this day. And in that time frame, I probably gained about eight pounds in about six, six weeks, six to eight weeks, but I had a miscarriage. I lost the baby. And that was bottom of the bottom. It was just a look what you did. Look how you hurt that life. Uh, You're a burden to everyone around you. You, Everyone would be better off without you here. Mm. And that was a moment that I was just, I mean, I felt defeated as a mama, defeated just as a woman, as a person. But I, you know, for me, I thank God every day in that moment, I felt like God whispered to my soul, look up, look up. And when I looked up those lies that I had told myself forever, that I was going to be alone, if anyone knew, that I was going to be rejected, that I wasn't going to be a a good mom, that I wasn't going to have any friends, all of those lies were proven to be lies. Yeah, There were helpers there. My doctor was there, a counselor, my family, my friends, a community group of people, my my pastor. But I, I began to see that I wasn't alone and that. It wasn't just me that was struggling with those issues, that there were other mamas who were going through the same thing, but they felt just like I did. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll never forget a friend of mine. We were, our girls were playing together and uh, she said, hey, Karis, how are you doing? And it was in that moment, you know, what do we, what do we always say? I'm good. I'm fine. Everything's fine. And we deflect because we want to, how are you? What's going on with you? And we're great listeners in that moment, because then if we can get them talking about themselves, I don't have to acknowledge what I'm going through. But it was in that day, in that moment, I didn't say those words. I I looked at her and said, you know what? I'm having a hard time. I've been dealing with a lot of anxiety and depression. And I kid you not, she paused and she looked at me, tears in her eyes. And she said, you too? And we both started crying. I was like, yes, me too. Me too. Why are we not talking about this? Why are we not sharing in the the hard things, in these moments that we're all going through, that we all need to know, okay, it's not just me. We're all going through this. So we can we can get through it. We can get through the struggle. And and she said to me, she said, she said, I thought you had it all together, but I'm so glad you don't. I was like, I'm glad you don't either. You know, like we were just so glad. But that was a really important moment for me to realize, okay, we got to change our conversation. Yes. We got to change this need to hide. And we got to have freedom to just let it out. You know, let have that community that we, you know, that we have safe place with each other to just walk through life together, you know, to go through those things together. So that moment, that conversation of true transparency and vulnerability, I really think that was a life changing moment for me. I could see that. I mean, yeah, just just having someone acknowledge that you're not alone. And and 
having that lifted off of you. Is that yes? Feel like that was that's a good way to put it because it was like oh, I don't have to be perfect or appear perfect to be a mama, to be a friend, to be a valued part of the community, to be successful at business or at teaching or at, you know, helping my kids to grow and develop. I I don't have to be perfect. I just have to be me. And I'm curious to know, did that in that moment, did that strengthen your friendship with her, that vulnerability Yes, over that, you know, those next couple of years, we both ended up moving away from that area, but it allowed us to learn that it was okay to text each other and say, hey, this is really a hard day. Or I, my, my kids, man, they're struggling and I cannot, I just had to close the door and walk out. Yep. (laughs) Like we all have those days. Like there was just nothing, nothing I could do. So it was in those moments to be like, oh, so I can have these conversations in a judgment-free zone. Uh, It's not going to be used against me. It's not going to devalue who I am. It's just a part of being a human. It doesn't mean you're a bad mom. That's right. You can have those thoughts. You can have hard days. You can have difficult times with your kids. You can have, you know, anger and you can have all the emotions and, and anxiety attacks. You can have all of those things and still be a good mom. That's right. It can be more than one way. And we right. all are people and we all experience these things. And just recognizing that your worth is not defined by the things that you are going through or That's the right. things that you deal with, like is so important for us to recognize. That's right. And we have to remember too, when our kids are having big emotions like that or big moments, they don't know how to process that. Yes. They're sure. they're not sure. And so it can feel overwhelming to them. Imagine how it feels overwhelming to us. So it feels overwhelming to them. And so they may have those explosions. But, you know, it's just it's so much easier for us to think, oh, I did something. Mm-hmm. I failed them. And like you said, you didn't fail. You're not a bad mom. It's just a human and a human yep. <laughs> trying to figure out this this dance, you know, and sometimes you've got to walk away. You've, you've got to take a breath. You've just got to like, oh, it's going to be OK. It's going to I hide chocolate in my bathroom. OK, same Oh, uh, closet. Closet. Yes. OK, yep. no one knows. Well, about my now. chocolate stash. And I, well, my kids won't listen. So, <laughs> right. but if you, you need to get you some good chocolate, ladies, like that no one can have. And you sometimes you just got to go lock yourself in the bathroom. No one, not even your dog, can find you and come in and just go and just yep. have some chocolate. Have a moment to yourself to just, just breathe. breathe. Mm-hmm. Just breathe. Yep. I think so. I struggled. Um, pretty, pretty intensely with anxiety attacks around this same time frame um, that you're talking about. And I know one of the one of the tools that I have learned now is that I try to get very curious with the things that I'm feeling in my body, because it's still like you said, it still sneaks up from time mm-hmm. to time. You know, most I, I don't. It's been years since I've struggled with it. But then maybe three or four months ago, I felt it again. And it's just like you described that the elephants, um, Karis's book is called Anxiety Elephants. And she talks about how they're, it's like elephants are on your chest. And it's that just heavy feeling and you can, you know, feel it taking over and you don't know what the problem is. If you've never dealt with this, that's kind of a description of what it feels like. And 
I know for me, I if I put my hand on my chest and just focus on, you know, how that feels, yeah. focusing on my breath, focusing on the tightness in my body and all of those things, that that really helps me to calm my mind if I have something to focus on other than how bad it's making me feel. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, because see, our, our brain it treats the thought of a danger or the thought of something bad the right. exact same way as a real danger. Right. So when we don't need that fight or flight response, we feel that through that anxiety response. And so like you're saying, when you sometimes if you feel it, you don't try to avoid it or run from it. It allows you to kind of take over from your brain to say, hey, we're OK. Everything's fine. Everything is fine. You are safe. Yep. And just breathe through it. That helps and just kind of ground yourself back into your reality. What is in front of me right now? Use your senses. Think of what is those things that I can control yes. in this moment. Because if we try to focus on everything that we cannot control, which we we try to do that. We try to focus on all the things. But if you just narrow it down, what can I control? Yep. Here are the things that I can control. My attitude, my thoughts, my perspective what I can do in this moment that can kind of help us to shift out of that anxiety response so that it doesn't take us over. It doesn't paralyze us and it doesn't, you know, steal from, from our life. And sometimes you can feel that anxiety again, it comes back to change. Maybe you're going through a change. Maybe you're about to start something new, something exciting, but you feel that flutter because your your brain's like, oh, no, we, we've never done this before. What if, what if, what if? And it's like, no, I can do this one step at a time. I may not have any idea what I'm doing. It's like my college roommate would do. She would throw spaghetti at the wall to see what when it was ready to see if what it sticks. would stick. So sometimes you have to just throw the spaghetti, push through that anxiety moment and just know if I breathe through this, I'm going to end up grounded and I'm going to be OK. I'm going to be OK. Yes, I love that. And and I wanted to read to you guys just a little, um, just a very small section in Karis's book. Again, it's called Anxiety Elephants. And it says, she says that one of the things that she does is to cast this away from you, to cast away those things. And she says, to start casting, I made sure I had a paper or journal with me. When that pounding started, I stopped whatever I was doing, whatever it was I was doing, and began writing as fast as I could. Worrying about correct grammar and punctuation marks was not a priority. Sometimes my lines were crooked and words would graze off the page. Appearance did not matter. The goal was simply to get my thoughts and feelings on the page. And here's where I think it's really cool. After I finished writing, I took the paper, wrinkled it up, and even ripped it into pieces. Then I cast or threw it away. So I think that's such a powerful tool and just a reminder that you know, you can take all of those things and just get rid of them, That's send right. them away. Yeah, because we have to change that that habit of holding it. Yes. You know what I mean? Of, of keeping it to ourselves because that's the weight. It's it's pushing on us. It's holding us. So we want to hold it and let go of it. And so that was one thing that journaling did for me and, and continues to do for me is it gives me the outlet to get rid of it, to uproot those lies, to uproot those anxious thoughts. And some I have some friends, they like to keep the journal and they just put it away. No one sees it. No one ever saw saw mine. It was literally a little cheap black notebook college ruled, you know, lines. And I would just, I mean, I would write, you know, or sometimes it could be words or a list and to just 
I'm a visual person Mm -hmm. to physically rip it and throw it away. It just helped me to say, oh, I have I have power over these thoughts. They no longer get to have power over me. That was really a big moment for me. But then I had to start learning how to replace it with truth, with good things, because if I didn't, those negative thoughts would come back and they would bring friends. So I didn't, I'm like, there's no room for you. You're no longer welcome here, but I have to fill my brain, fill my mind with good things. What are the messages that I'm listening to? What are, are the voices that I'm listening to? What am I reading? What are the podcasts? Um, What am I watching on TV? For example, why I did this, I still don't know, but I would go to bed at night watching Criminal Minds. (laughs) (laughs) I think it says many, many moms listening to this. Uh, Right, right. Now, I'm with you guys. Sometimes I like those podcasts that do the, you know, the crime podcast Uh or whatever. But going to bed at night watching these visual, you know, shows and and a lot of their shows at that time were about children. Mm hmm. As a mom, that was not, no, not the right thing, thing for to you. do. So I had to stop. Do I had to kind of become aware of what I was doing, become aware of some of my triggers that would trigger those anxious thoughts, those anxious responses, and remove them. Right. You know what I mean? And so sometimes I still want to watch those shows, but I, I know that I can't. Right. Because I'm not. Some of you can, and that's totally fine. But for me, that was a trigger that I had to change. Yes. And so just I could get out of that process. Paying attention and recognizing yeah. what those triggers are for you because That's they're right. going to look different for all of us. That's right. And you know, a trigger is something that it's like a it's like a light switch when it is triggered, when it's flipped on, it triggers that anxious response. It could be maybe it's finances, money, you know, there are things that we do to our body sometimes if we overeat sugar, if we're drinking too much caffeine, also coffee. I love Stop you. Stop judging me. I know. <laughs> so I can't drink as much coffee as I used to. But sleep. Are you getting enough sleep? That can also be, you know, a trigger. Social events can be a trigger. Major change in your life. So if you are aware of these things and maybe let's say, for example, you have a big change or you have you're, you're listening to this and your kids are getting ready to go to school and they've never been to kindergarten. They've never been to this school that they're about to go through. And you feel that kind of that flutter. Oh, that's that's anxiety. Mm-hmm. That's you. I can't control it. I can't be there for them. I can't do all these things. So again, you go back to what is something I can control. So when you start to recognize those things as triggers, you have to learn what what are things that help me. And journaling was huge in helping me to get rid of those what if thoughts, those negative thoughts and replacing it with what is true. I think that's that's great. And, And mine was very similar was just oftentimes and still if I catch myself in that spiraling mode. Right. I have to sit down and I do just a brain dump and I write it all yeah. down and then I pick out what are the things I can control. That's a that's a common thing I say to myself. What can I control? And I pick one or two things that I can do in this moment to work on and then leave the rest. You know, if it's because I mean, it can be different things, like you said, triggers and mine often tend to be like I'm overwhelmed with, you know, all the to do's. Right. And so picking those to do's that I can do in this moment I can check those off and then I can focus on the others because I can't do them all at once. That's right. You know, That's so good. So um, so with that, I, I know we're going a little bit over on time, but it's been so good. Yes, Such good conversation. And so I want to move into, um, you know, just asking you the big question of the podcast, which is what does success mean to you? So success to me, it means walking where your feet are right now. 
walking where your feet are right now in 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 your calling your calling is going to look different you know for me as an author and a speaker i never knew that that was going to be where i was going to go but that's where my feet went you know that for me that's where god led my path so being present in that moment and just giving what you have for that day sometimes what your 100% is one day is going to look different from another day and that's okay yes. but just be where your feet are be in that moment be present and just know this is right where i'm supposed to be i'm doing what i'm supposed to be doing and enjoy it like you know sometimes we 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 get so focused on i got to do 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 we forget to just be so just there's permission there for someone who needs it just be be in that moment be where your feet are and just know that your calling is there it's going to be revealed in different ways and it's going to be at times where you may be around a lot of people and it may just be you and and one little toddler or it may just be you sitting at a desk and you're writing out something that one day is going to be a book or it's going to be a podcast or it's going to be um, a coaching program where you're going to get to help other mamas because of what you've experienced and what you've gone through in your life. So by you being present where your feet are, it's going to allow you to go on and do other things. Mm-hmm. I love that so much. So good. Um, Karis, why don't you take a second and just tell everybody just a little bit more about your books, um, about your upcoming books yeah. that you guys need to listen and grab, and then where they can find you. Absolutely. So um, I have an adult devotional like she just read from The Anxiety Elephants. And it is a just an encouraging 31-day devotional that helps you walk through how to deal with anxiety. I share, you know, a a scripture verse each day and a little bit of my story each day, but there's also an action step for any of you who have dealt with anxiety. You want to take an action, but you just don't know what to do. So there is that small, tiny action step each day with a journaling page where you can journal, you can practice getting rid of those thoughts. So that's going to be there. And this book, it moved into actually tween devotionals for those eight to 12 year olds my kids my daughters said hey will you write a book with words we can understand to deal with anxiety and I was like wow yes we can do that we can work on that and so that came out uh 2022 and so there is a boy version and a girl version and if you hear the word tween and you're like what is a tween that is an eight to 12 year old which the anxiety for them right now is so big and they're dealing with a lot of things. So these are just small daily devotionals. Okay, 90 I, just, days. I just had some anxiety because you said tween is eight to 12 and my, my oldest will be eight this year. And I was like, Oh no, I know <laughs> we're entering what? Yes. Okay. Tween world. Sorry. I know. That was a, that was a big thing. Okay. Yes. Continue. We need to get one of those books for you. Um, so it just helps encourage them to know this is a normal thing. But here are some tools that you can start using right now. So that way they can be more prepared than what we were. And it, and it offers good conversation in there for parents as well to know how to talk with their with their tween if right. they are dealing with some of that. And so, again, I wanted to have a daycare. I had no idea I was going to be a speaker or an author, but using just these experiences from my life, it kind of opened the door to, like you said, I have two new books coming out. Now, my child development self is very excited because I have a children's picture book coming out in the summer. Continued in this Anxiety Elephant series, the title is There's an Elephant on My Chest. And I'll I'll give you a, a picture so everybody can see it. But it just helps our littles 
who have that big emotion, that big feeling, and they really don't know what it is. It walks them through the story of the main character, whose name is Allie, which is my youngest name. By the way, she asked, Mom, can the main character please have my name? I was like, sure, that will be totally fine. But it walks through this story of there's the elephant. It's back on her chest, and she doesn't know what to do. So you see her begin to walk through some processes, some practical things to make the elephant grow smaller and smaller. And you see her talk to her mama and you see her tell her friends and a doctor and the school counselor and and taking deep breaths, doing a gratitude list. It is the most precious book. And I am so excited about it. It's four to eight year olds. July 18th is when that book is going to be coming out. Teachers can use it. Counselors, daycare centers, parents. It's going to be a really fun book to talk about a really big emotion for them i love it and, and then just yeah. giving them that language yes is so important so i love that anyway, yeah sorry to and interrupt it, i just no, think that's you're good. so good yeah it's going to give them that and then at the end of the book it's gonna uh, you can ask them some discussion questions it kind of points out some symptoms that they might be experiencing like if they tell you my stomach hurts it's not they're not faking something maybe it's that anxiety that they're dealing with so it just kind of helps open our eyes you know even more as parents and adults to see what they're really going through what yeah. they're dealing with and then yeah finally for us moms um i spend my life a lot of time in the car line Mm -hmm. i don't know are all of you saying yes and amen yes and amen we are constantly coming and going and dropping off and picking up from toddler to teenager i say toddler teenagers this is the life that we live and so we get overwhelmed and overstressed and overworried and we feel like like we've talked about today we're failing or we're not enough so car line mom devotional was written for that for the mama who gets everybody everywhere they need to go it's a hundred day devotional of just encouragement to let you know that you're not alone that God sees you and that we're all in this together. And I share even stories from my own car line journeys. There's there's some funny things in there. But again, I love being on this journey with you all as well. So um, it's going to have that same kind of there's a scripture, there's a story, and then there's an action step for you to take. And so that comes out August 29th. So right when school is starting back, you can literally put it in your glove compartment, put it in your car, put it beside your favorite coffee cup when you're drinking your coffee in the morning. Um, It's just going to be a daily dose of encouragement. So you can find all these books online, Amazon. You can go to my website, Karis Snyder, C-A-R-I-S-S-N-I-D-E-R.com. You can even pre-order the new books now through Amazon. So very, very excited about those coming. So good. Yeah. I'm just, I think you're doing big things. I think that the message that you're sharing is so important and so needed for our kids, for, you know, us as moms, for our, our tweens. (laughs) Um, And so I just, I think it's amazing. And so with that, you guys like, like always, I will link all of those things um, in the show notes at successfulmamapodcast.com. We'll put, you know, Karis's Instagram, you know, all All the places you can find her. I'll link all of those there as well. And, and we'll look for the you know, the boy band um, music as well. Um, But with that, we're going to go ahead and finish up with our our questions that are a little bit rapid fire. Love it. Can't wait. Um, Okay. Question number one, Karis, what is your coffee order? My coffee order is white chocolate mocha. So good. Yes, I love it. So good. Number two, how clean does your house stay on a scale of one to 10 on average? On average? Mm -hmm. And no one else is cleaning it, right? Me, I'm cleaning it. <laughs> Whatever the norm is at your house. <laughs> oh, okay, y'all. I'm going to say a six. Okay. I mean, I don't know. Like, 
yeah, girls are not always as clean as you think they are. No. Yeah. No. So we always have dirty clothes everywhere. Shoes. Yep. Why can shoes not go back in the closet? Why can things not go back where they should go? I, I know. I, I have <laughs> I have volleyball knee pads sitting in a chair in my living room. They've been there since last Tuesday. Mm-hmm. It happens. So, we, I know. We can all relate for sure. Yeah. Okay. Question number three, a book or show you've recently loved? Ooh, okay. So I like old older shows. We have Paramount and I've been watching the show, The Scorpion. I don't know if y'all ever, it is like a few years old. It's a team of nerds basically that that figure out how to save the world. It was a CBS show. Gotcha. Um, yeah. It's, okay. It's probably boring, but it's been interesting to watch. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. Um, and last question is, what is the most random item you have in your purse? Okay, I'm trying to think. Uh, it would probably be scissors. Okay. <laughs> In case you need to do <laughs> a little cutting. <laughs> so good. Oh, my goodness. Well, Karis, thank you so much again. I have really enjoyed our conversation and having you. And I know that this is going to be so good for so many moms who listen. Uh, thanks for having me today. All right, you guys, you have a wonderful week. And we will see you next time on the Successful Mama podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Successful Mama Podcast. For more information, head on over to SuccessfulMamaPodcast.com where you can find show notes and all of the links mentioned in today's episode. Tap that share button and remember to tag at Successful Mama Podcast. And make sure to go leave a review. It really does help. A special thanks to Will Carruthers. Until next time, remember Mama, success looks more than one way and it's up to you to define it.